Welcome to book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. <laughs> Just trying to get into the spirit. I'm Count. I'm Count Livius. Oh, uh, and I'm Air Olson. I don't know. Air Olson. Yeah, that's yeah, I yeah. like that. That's yeah. Because like good. That sounds yeah. like a good Nazi name. Yeah. 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 Heil Olson. All right. So anyway. Um, and tonight we're actually doing, we're back to, it's 2017 and this is our full, first full like novel review because we had a book review, which was um, a couple of short stories. This is our first full novel in 2017 and it is um, Dracula versus Hitler, which sounds really um, kind of goofy, but it actually turns out to be something different. So you'll, you'll, you'll hear in our review, but um. Before we dive into all of that, I'm going to read you the author bio that we pulled from Amazon. Patrick Sheen Duncan is the writer and director of critically acclaimed feature film 84 Charlie Mopic, which I've never heard of. Mopic? Mopic? Mm. Sure. And wrote mm-hmm. the screenplays for Mr. Holland's Opus. So when I saw Mr. Holland's Opus, I was like, all right, this guy's serious, and I'm going to take this book seriously. Uh, Courage Under Fire, and Nick of Time. He's the producer of the HBO series Vietnam War Story and co-writer slash director of the documentary series Medal of Honor. He lives in Los Angeles. Dracula vs. Hitler is his third novel. Yeah, um, I have all of those movies. I have only seen 84 Charlie... Mo- I'm kidding. I, I don't have no idea what that is. Um, <laughs> I, I've seen Mr. Holland's Opus numerous times, and I, I really like that movie. It's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a tearjerker, that film. Yeah, it lends legitimacy to a book called Dracula versus Hitler, right? It does make it a lot easier to uh, to digest that that's what we're going to be reading now. <laughs> um, I, I have to, uh, I don't know, I, I have to, I guess, mention this at the beginning that, um, you know, there's a strong possibility that I may be of the Dracula bloodline. Um, as as longtime listeners know, uh, I, my, my heritage is Romanian, and we don't know that I'm not actually related to Dracula. So I just wanted... Um, to mention that at the beginning, so if it seems like there's anything that I have kind of a slant towards one character or the other, um, it is part of my heritage. So I just wanted to to throw that out there. The non-bias uh, disclaimer at the beginning, I like that. Or the, I guess the bias disclaimer. Bias, yeah, that's really what I'm saying. <laughs> so, Sorry. <laughs> here is the synopsis for uh, for this book. Ravaged by the Nazi Secret Service during World War II, Romanian resistance forces turned to one of their leaders, Professor Van Helsing, for any way out. To fight these monstrous forces, Van Helsing raises a legendary monster from centuries of slumber, Prince Dracula himself. Once he was the ruler of Transylvania, Prince Vlad Dracul is above all else a patriot. He proves more than willing to once again drive out his country's invaders. Upshot, no one minds if he drinks all the German blood he desires. <laughs> God damn it, I didn't read the synopsis. How cheesy is that? <laughs> In Berlin, when Hitler hears about the many defeats his forces are suffering at the hands of an apparent true vampire, he is seduced by the possibility of becoming immortal. Thus, two forces are set upon a collision course. The ultimate confrontation. Superpower against superpower. Mm. Uh-huh. Sounds amazing. Sounds great. I I've got to be honest with you. I don't think it sounds all that amazing. So <laughs> let me uh, let me do a little bit of setup for the listeners. Um, uh, the first, I don't know, the intro to the book is written by the actual author, and he tells a story about how he's researching something for a, a, a documentary that he's doing. So. He's in this vast cavernous uh, warehouse where there are old military documents, and he stumbles across this box that piques his interest. And contained within the box are a variety of pieces of information, um, including an unpublished novel, a diary of an English um, soldier slash spy, uh, a document, uh, a diary of um, somebody who might be Hitler, but it's never been verified. So what we're reading here is the he has taken and put all of this information into a chronological order to tell this story that apparently passed up everybody else that ever looked at it and and it lands at his feet. Uh, the second thing you need to know is that in this world where this story takes place, that Dracula was not a fictional book, not 
in so much as, well, you know, it's kind of based on this Romanian prince. Like, no, Van Helsing was a real person and Jonathan Harker was a real person and Mina was a real person. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you have to accept that the fictional book Dracula that's written by Bram Stoker, who oddly is not mentioned once in the book <laughs> by name. Just um, reference as a vaudevillian. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, That is uh, based um, pretty closely on a true story. Yeah. So, I guess before we dive into the actual story, as Livia said, uh, because this is kind of like the book equivalent of found footage, would you agree with me? That's a great way to put it. Yeah. So, um, uh, it basically, perspective-wise, what we're looking at is a book that's presented in um, from different um, from different perspectives, but all of them are from a, a specific perspective. So, some of the book is told from the perspective of um, John Harker, who is a, a, a British spy. Some of it is told from the perspective of the daughter of uh, Dr. Van Helsing. Um, some is told from perspective of different Nazi um, agents and also uh, allegedly Hitler. So this is all kind of like found footage. So what we're reading is diaries or journals and things like that. Um, so the perspective is very specific. And I'm going to come back to that more later because I have a problem with that. But um, for the most part, we uh, it's stitched together in a way that we're like um, Van Helsing's daughter will tell part of the story. And then John Harker, who is the grandson of of whatever the Harker was John, in the original. Jonathan Harker. <laughs> oh, same name. OK, cool. Great. That's very easy. Um, from the original Dracula story, um, you know, uh, we get part of that from that point of view. So it's all kind of stitched together in a pretty continuous way so that one story picks up after the other, but it alternates. I want to say every like few pages, like there was like four or five pages, maybe like a 10 page stretch here and there. If it was a big thing from one perspective, but it keeps alternating from one perspective to another. Correct. So at the beginning, um, the first, you know, diary entry, journal entry, or whatever we read, um, is from 45 years ago, if memory serves correctly. Um, and it's from, uh, the, the perspective of Dr. Van Helsing, the Dr. Van Helsing that, you know, if you're familiar with the Dracula lore and, uh, it takes place, uh, immediately after the Dracula book and Harker, the scientist in him decides that he cannot just let this body rot in a river or wherever it was dumped and that he needs to go collect it so that he can scientifically investigate what caused um, Dracula to be um, maybe or close to immortal, I guess is the right way to say it. And uh, he finds out Dracula is not dead and another confrontation ensues, but Harker is able to, I'm sorry, Ben Helsing is able to, um, defeat Dracula and lock him away. So then we jump forward to what we'll call the present day in the book, which is uh, world war two, probably about halfway in. And, uh, Van Helsing and his daughter are leaders in the Romanian resistance, um, fighters against the Nazis. It sounds campy as fuck. Can I get an agreement on that? Well, it gets campier. <laughs> so I was going to let you go a little farther before he... <laughs> I just even looking at the cover and that's I guess like that's the thing that I wanted to say is that even looking at the cover of this book, you're thinking Dracula versus Hitler. This is going to be very campy. It's going to be very tongue in cheek and everything. But this book takes a very serious approach to like the historical fiction, you know, nature of this book. So um, we're we're basically spending most of our most of our time and very much definitely at the beginning um looking at these Romanian people who are suffering under the occupation of a German army. And so the Romanian government has kind of, um, I don't need, not agreed, but kind of given, given into the rule of this German army. And so everybody has to kind of follow what the German army wants. And, and it's very much historical fiction. And it just happens to include in the beginning in the first good, I want to say 20, 30% of this book um, the Van Helsing family, but not not anything supernatural. Dracula shows up later on, so in the beginning, it's presented as straight up 
historical fiction where the Nazis are occupying the town that the Van Helsings happen to live in. And so, you know, um, they're going through the struggles of a town that is under the control of a foreign government and a foreign, I guess, a foreign military. And because of that, um, some of the first things we see are what a, a kind of resistance force is doing to fight this occupation. Yeah, and they're they're doing mostly small things. This is an open open war. This is a, a lot of uh, a campaign of sabotage of vehicles or munitions or um, food supplies to soldiers, that type of thing. So, a lot of out of the shadows. Um, certainly, there are you know uh, gunfights and that kind of thing. But basically, they're just trying to disrupt the progress of the German army. Um, the story grows more <laughs> interesting, maybe. This was there were a couple things that were really hard to swallow. Some of it'll be in spoiler talk. This one I'm going to talk about right now. I get it. Van Helsing stayed in Romania, got married, had a daughter. The two of them, that's cool. So we know because of the synopsis that Van Helsing is going to bring Dracula back and enlist his help. Great. So there's the reunion there. We're introduced to two new characters who are airdropped into Romania who are British um, agents. And the one I think might have even been Scottish, um, just based on how he said some things or, or whatnot from, you know, my extensive background with reading Scottish literature. Um, but we're introduced to um, Harker and Renfield. Harker being the grandson of um, of Jonathan Harker from the original Dracula story. So there's this huge coincidence that Van Helsing and Harker reunited again. Of course, you know, with, with the upcoming reuniting with Dracula. But then it just happens that the code name of the guy that Harker is with is Renfield. And Renfield in the airdrop has been rendered, I don't even know, slightly mentally disabled in that if he's not talking about munitions, he can only recite um, dirty limericks. So, <laughs> so you have someone yeah. who resembles more and more through the course of the book the Renfield from the original story, he's drawn to Dracula. <laughs> so really, I, I think that, that, that Duncan really overdid it with, uh, with trying to get every aspect of that first book of Dracula into this. Like he could have just left it with Van Helsing and Van Helsing's daughter, where it's a reunion between the two of them and had this exact same story. Cause Harker didn't bring anything to the table by being Harker. And Correct. the Renfield character, other than the funny limericks, didn't bring anything to the table for being, you know what I mean? That couldn't have been done by just Bob, the Scottish military guy, you know, someone who wasn't necessarily tied to it. So the first real stretch in that book is that that basically characters related to, you know, four or five of the original characters are all brought together in uh, in circumstance. Yeah, that was that was kind of a, a concern of mine at the beginning of the book was that kind of like you said, he was trying to recreate or, or or give significance to too many of the characters in this book, which is unrealistic considering if you if you figure out the timeline when they when Dracula eventually appears in the book, he says it's been fifty years. So the likelihood that fifty years later he's gonna be kind of confronted with the exact same cast of characters or a very similar cast of characters to the, to the events of what happened in the book, Dracula by Bram Stoker, Bram, Bram, Bram Stoker all those years mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. Um, fucking it, it detracts from the book. It, it, it's kind of like fan service or, or, or sure. lip service to a story that, you know, is, is legendary and has in, in a lot of ways spawned pretty much a ton of, of the current, you know, fiction that exists but at the same time you know i think it takes away from itself in a way it's like just like livia said we didn't need another harker we just needed a, an english guy who you know did what the english guy did and we you know that type of thing so i'll agree i'm gonna go a step farther too in that the, the assumption is made and, and rightfully so that you you're familiar with the dracula story and i think anybody who picks up this book probably is but if you if you took John Harker away and made him Craig Wallwork, you could have used <laughs> oh my that God. character as a sounding board to kind of catch people up or remind people what 
happened during the original because they never really talk about it. You know, they talk about, oh, poor Mean or not Mina, the other one. Um, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, poor yeah. so and so that died. But they never really tell you what happened. If you actually gave it to somebody who was completely unrelated to the story, that could have been like the through the course of this book, you kind of hear the events from the original book, if that makes sense. Because with Harker being in the know, they don't ever talk about what yeah, happened. It's assumed that. Mm-hmm. All the characters know, so you don't talk about it because all the characters know. But if there was a character who didn't know or was interested because they read the book, then it would make sense for them to validate what was real and what was not. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was kind of a plot contrivance that I wasn't super excited about. But then there's Hitler. <laughs> no, no. No, there's no? not. There's not Hitler. Yeah, I guess <laughs> that's another Hitler point. For a really long time. <laughs> that's another point. I think that it's interesting because, like, the book title is Dracula versus Hitler. And first of all, did we agree probably about a third of the way in the book is when we first meet Dracula? Or 20%, yeah, something like I, that? I think it's like 22%, yeah. When do we meet Dra- or, or Hitler? When do we 51%. first? 51%. <laughs> did you actually measure this? Yeah, I actually I looked when I realized how long I've been, I looked and I was at 51 percent. So I'm thinking 50 or 51. But yeah, it's, it's almost dead center of the book. Now, I'm not going to expect you to know when Dracula and Hitler first meet. However, I'm confident that it's after the 80 percent mark. <laughs> yeah. And, and quite honestly, I think I think it's actually right. Right at 80. Yeah. Yeah. So as much as this book is called Dracula versus Hitler, it's really like a bunch of insurgents versus the Nazis plus there's a there's an encounter <laughs> I guess is the best way I could say it of Hitler and Dracula at the end so um I mean really this is a historical fiction thing and I think that where this book benefits is the fact that the historical fiction part was actually really entertaining to me at least I don't know how you felt about Livius you know I, I agree with you um <sighs> okay there, there's a couple ways to look at this. Without the title Dracula versus Hitler, you don't have a book that's marketable. So to do that, right, you have to have Dracula and you have to have Hitler. But I don't know how important either one of those characters was to this book. Yeah. To the good parts of the book. So having uh, having I was born and raised in the United States, but but I, I, I grew up with Romanian culture. Here it goes. Um, and you know, well, no, I'm, I'm just going to say that's here's the whole thing. It was nice because I recognized a lot of the names of the towns they were in. I recognized a lot of the names of people as people my parents talked about or people I worked with um, many, many years ago when I worked in a predominantly Romanian company. Um, It was nice. I recognized some of the customs and some of the foods that they talked about. It was nice for me, and it was a a decent story. I don't know that it needed Dracula or Hitler, (laughs) but without Dracula or Hitler, you don't have a story. You're not selling the book, yeah. I I get it. (laughs) I just don't know. I don't know. I mean, ultimately, yes, some of the um, some of the guerrilla warfare and some of the culture stuff was pretty cool. I'll, I'll give you that. Also, I will say that um, because Ra- I wasn't going to mention if they actually ever met or not as part of my review, but um, I did find myself turning pages faster to see the interaction between uh, between the two stars in quotes of this book. <laughs> Uh, Dracula and Hitler. I, I, I did find some of their exchanges kind of interesting and well written, um, but yeah, it took. This book's five hundred pages. Did we mention that? <laughs> no, so when you no, say no, no. it's eighty percent of the way in the book, you've read four hundred pages. pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you get to the, and I want to see. Yeah, the climax in any book is probably around that part, but until you get what the title is, and you go halfway through the book without hearing an utterance from one of the title characters. Yeah, yeah, but and that all sounds kind of negative in a way, but like really, um, I felt like overall the book worked in a big way. And I think that so we have to point out that like there is a there is a severe lack of of a confrontation. It's not like Dracula and Hitler are just like battling out the entire book. But I think that it's great that that's not the point of the book. Um the point of the book is that there's this like massive overwhelming force that is seemingly unbeatable. And what do you do when you're facing something that nobody, nobody can do anything about as you try to find 
a, a counterforce that has as much power. Um, and so, like, this little group of insurgents that we follow through the entire book is doing their little thing here and there. And they are spectacular. Like, the successes they have in sabotaging the German efforts in Romania cannot be, um, you know, undersold. They did an amazing job. But at the end of the day, they're just sabotaging a train station here and an ammunition base here, there and things like that. And at the end, of, you know, like, considering the overall war effort, they're not making much of a dent. And And I think that, like, the cool thing about this book is that they realize if we're going to make... If we're going to change the 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 occupation, the German occupation of Romania, we need to step up our game, and we need to bring in this other element, and that's when things get interesting. Yeah, the pitch for this book um, was probably pretty brilliant. Um, I'm picturing the the author, um, and we'll talk a little bit because I think it's a little interesting how this book was published um, after we're done reviewing it, but. You know, as Rob put it, you know, you've got these Romanian insurgents and, and one of them is Van Helsing and, you know, what are they going to do? And he has this this probably terrible idea. <laughs> and that sounds fucking amazing. Um, I just don't know that it was delivered right. I, I think in, in spoiler talk, I'm going to have I'm going to lay out how this book could have been significantly better. Like what I would have done <laughs> as the and, and when I say editor, like like the guy who's like, listen, you got to cut this chapter out. That guy, not the guy who tells you because it was written. It was written very well. Y you know what I mean? There's there, I have no issue with the writing. There was just some really campy shit and, and some really repetitive stuff that this book could have done without. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and agree with that. Um. So what else? What else do we have to tell tell about the story? Um, I don't think there's a ton. There are a series of um, a series of sabotage missions and attacks on on German whatever. And as Germans become more aware of what's going on, and as they use Nazi tactics of interrogation to kind of flush out this main group, and by main group, it's Van Helsing, his daughter Harker Renfield. Um, and there's three other um, Romanian slash gypsy guys that are like hanging out with them. Um, then we get into the the rescue part of the mission where some of the the ragtag band of of revolutionaries is uh, is captured, and then the remainder of them want to save them. Um, I think that pretty much covers the whole book from a story standpoint. Yeah. Um, there are some interesting things that happen. I will tell you that my absolute favorite scene um, in this whole book is when uh, Lucy takes. Um, Dracula to see his first movie and it's King Kong and the conversation that ensues around movies and around the movies, specifically the movie King Kong, of which I'm not a fan or anything, but like the parallels that are drawn between King Kong and Dracula. I think that was, yeah. uh, that was really where this book shined in, in my opinion. Yeah, it was never, it was never a book I think that was intended for like action and battles. It was more intended for, um, the morality and the the sensi sensitivity or sensibility of a specific situation, and I think another thing that it did very well was to depict the kind of sterile um, precision of of how Nazis approach things, uh, because they were like in in most of the interactions that we saw, actually in every single interaction we saw, that they were ruthless, but they were also method also methodical. So. Um, you know, um, if if a certain tactic of torture didn't work, they would try something else. If a certain, you know, um, you know, if there was an uprising, they would they would quell it by making the violence so unbelievable that no one would go up against them. So, I think, and this is from my limited grasp of history, um, the depiction of the ruthlessness of the Nazis was was, um, if not accurate, in the spirit of of the ruthlessness of what actually happened in history, which I thought was, um, was really good. That's amazing. Cause I'm pretty sure he said, if it's not accurate, it was in the spirit of accuracy, which is, well, you know what I'm saying? Great. Like, no, I, I know I'm not, I'm not <laughs> I just think that you worded it in such a way that I'm like, Oh, that's uh, yeah. Like, if well, it's not right, it sounds like it was right. Yeah, so. <laughs> I guess what I mean is like, if it didn't, if it's not like, you know, a recounting of something that actually happened, it's like basically something that they would have done. Do you know um, 
Do you know if the Romanians actually finished out World War II with uh, with the Germans? I was hoping that you would. I, there's a whole part of this podcast that we're going to go into you and the history of Romania, your, your <laughs> I, home I, and I, native I, land. I'm not terribly well versed in the history, but no, oh, Romania no. Um, traitors, man. They 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 actually switched sides and and switched sides and joined the Soviets. They left the Axis and they joined the Soviets, huh? Correct. Do you know they, the staggering they, fucking statistics about um, how many people the Soviet Soviets lost during World War II? I don't, but I imagine it's it's a lot. They lost like 25 million people. It was like 50 times the amount of deaths that any other country experienced in World War II. It's fucking yeah, I, unbelievable. I, well, you know, when you talked about the Nazis having a methodical approach, it, it was always my my thought that I think the Russians just threw numbers at, at a situation versus yeah. methodology. Then so, methodology, yeah. yeah. And, that, and what you say makes sense. So, But it fucking worked. To the detriment of 25 million people that died or whatever, but that's it's fucking insane. But, Dude, I think, but they would have yeah. they would have won and still fucking lived in Russia. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's yeah. really look. Let's Imagine really the look soldier at... the soldier that's yeah. like, you know what? I'm heading back to Siberia. So I don't care if I die. I mean, they were victors <laughs> of a war, and let's really look at the Soviet Union and now the former Soviet Union and and how great a country that became. I don't know. It's on the it's on the rebound right now. They're kind of taking over the United States with uh with a puppet, but we'll talk about that later too, I think. Oh man. All right. <laughs> All right. Um Yeah, so yeah, they they flip sides. So I, I don't know what exactly huh. all, All right. all happened there, but I will tell you that there is at least one Romanian living in the United States that that's pretty unhappy about that that traitorous Here, all right. and it's not me. Oh, do you, there's another Romanian. Is is this person on the podcast too? We just haven't heard no. them yet. No, there's there's at least one other Romanian living in the United States. Um, I will say this: what the Russians um, did and how they treated um, a lot of people in Romania is not dissimilar from how the Germans treated people in Romania in this book. And this is from I, I can't obviously not personal experience, but personal experience of people that I'm close to. Well, so my understanding was that, like, the reaction to the end of World War II, um, especially with, like, the East Berlin, West Berlin thing, was that there was, like, an Eastern Bloc thing that was just, like, completely fucking out of control, like, negative toward people. And I have to imagine that, like, anybody who aligned with the Germans or who, you know, the Germans occupied suffered from that. Is that where that comes from or is am I way off? Um, I, I believe that to be true. And again, I, I don't know from personal experience. I, I'm, I'm actually talking about my, my family directly. But, you know, I, I have heard stories of Russian soldiers like coming in the house and taking all the chickens just because. Yeah. You know, so um, my uh, my father grew up and, and continues to have strong, um, strong resentment for the Russians, which oddly translates into a support for the Germans, believe it or not. And it makes, you know, it took, it took me being probably into my thirties before I understood that, but uh, a strong enough dislike, and, and he's not the only one, a strong enough dislike for what you ended up with that you long for what the other thing was almost oh, regardless yeah. of how bad that may have been. Yeah. And I have to imagine that like a lot of the Eastern European nations experienced something similar where it was like the the Germ like fucking germans were were germany during world war ii and the russians were the major opposing force and anybody who got caught in between suffered from we had to fucking survive through this somehow but in the aftermath the russians were like well you helped the germans so you suck and the germans you know in the t in, at the time that the war was going on was like you need to fucking support us because Otherwise, we'll murder you. So, like, what what can you do? <laughs> One other interesting, and, and I chuckle because um, it, it, it's a little funny if you don't have to live it, I guess. So, Romania went on to be a communist country until, like, 1991, maybe, where they dragged yeah. the dictator into the street and shot him. Oh, <laughs> like was that, that. Ceausescu? Ceausescu, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they finally got fed up enough. There was a revolution, and, you know, they dragged the president, oh, and the first lady. He called himself <laughs> the president, but him and his wife out into the street and fucking killed them. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. 
Now, that being said, Romania was never worse off than in probably the 20 years after that happened. Because you had a country where the government handled everything, and as shitty as it was, you know what? There was a little bit of food, and there was a little bit of clothing, and there was a little bit for everybody in a communist country. Now you give them freedom, (laughs) and people are starving in the fucking streets. There are still people. My mom has um, relatives and or friends where the women go and um, are caretakers for elderly people in Germany, for example, for six or eight months of the year so that they can send money home to their husband and their their families because there is not enough work. And although they have – last time I was in Romania, I was 16, so it would have been 1988 roughly. Um, And you would go into stores and three-quarters of the shelves were empty. So if you had some money, there was still nothing to buy. Now – the store shelves are full and people don't have money to buy anything, you know, so they've gone from communist to capitalist, but in, in such a strong and, and, and fast transition that it, it just, it didn't not work in a good out. way. And there are, ple- are people and maybe not so much now, but I could tell you 15 years ago, there were Romanians who longed for communism because at least then, you know, you had, you did your little bit of work, you got your little bit of something and, and you weren't worried about, you know, not having a next meal where that's uh the, the case, at least maybe it's gotten better now, but for a long time, the case was, yeah, we overthrew the communists. Oh, fuck. What do we do now? Kind of situation. So that's I got to tell you. So I haven't been to Romania, but I've been to, you know, I've been to other uh, Eastern European countries uh-huh. where, you know, me walking in like a fucking naive American who's like, democracy is the best. And they're like, it's awful. Because when when they changed from communism, so Yugoslavia was a was a was a communist country, and when mm-hmm. the when it you know when it dissolved into multiple countries who you know decided to go with a democ- democratic or democracy, um, they didn't have any infrastructure, they didn't have any fucking like imports and export, exports in, set up in a way that they could support an economy based on a democratic process. So mm-hmm. I, I fully agree with you. Like some countries just suddenly found themselves in a democracy that couldn't support the people, and the people are like, "Hey, now my life is awful." <laughs> That's yep. And and, and it's funny because it, you're right. It's hard to explain to somebody who's um, waving the flag, you know, and and why isn't everybody in yeah. a democracy? And you just don't understand that we've been doing it for 250 years. Yeah. It's fucked and up. We did, but we did it from nothing. It started out as a democracy. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I, so we, we grew into what it is now, like it or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we'll talk so, about that, yeah, too. A country that, yeah, a country that can support itself on, on its uh, capitalistic, the democratic ways where, you know, countries that were communist have no fucking idea what to do. And, <laughs> and you can't just flip a switch, I guess, is really what it comes no, down yeah, to. No, yeah, yeah. Like... There's a lot of thoughtfulness that comes into, I think, running any type of government, but going from one one specific type to a very severely different type, there's a lot of downsides. Yeah, it's it's fucking chaos is what it is. It's so. awful. It's people suffer. Wow, yeah, we got super political. It, yeah. If you uh if you ever have to do it though, having a vampire on your side that's, helps a lot. I think really that's the moral of this book is like when you find yourself in tough times. Resurrect a vampire. And times are still going to be tough. However, not as tough as they were without that vampire. That's like on your side. <laughs> times are tough, but you're hanging out with a fucking vampire. You're so. with a vampire. Yeah. I thought it was kind of cute that the Roma population um, really was so... <laughs> and I don't know. Tell me when we have to like wander into the spoiler territory, but like... They were like, you're my prince, and they were all super excited about him, and everybody else is like, this guy is terrible or not real. Yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily a spoiler, but that, that leads me to another thing, and I, I get the feeling we may have talked about this on the podcast a few years ago, how in retrospect, um, Vlad Tepes, the, the prince that Dracula is based on, how high regard he is held in. Uh, yeah. To this day, by by uh, Romanian. So, I will give you the the quick and dirty and and completely inaccurate history lesson. Um, he drove the Turks out of Romania, and he did it in ways that made the Nazis look like pussies. So you know he would capture Turks, 
and 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 he would stake them. So for for the <laughs> for, for let's the not be delicate with this. Let's just fucking yeah. go for it. Don't yeah. be delicate. For, yeah, for the unindoctrinated, I'm not talking about stake through the heart. Which when you hear vampire and stake, that's what you're thinking. He would take giant poles that he would shove up people's asses and then yeah. erect the poles into the ground somehow, and then let them bleed out um, as their so, body slowly like took the stake in. Yeah. So now you're talking about, you want to talk about methodology, right? So here you are, <laughs> Rob's leading his little Turkish brigade into Romania. He's going to go see what's going on. And you pull up on a road. Olsen, that has 75, very Turkish name. Right? Yeah, yeah. 75 yeah. Or, or 250 of your comrades <laughs> with fucking giant poles shoved up their asses. <laughs> dead on the road. That's at least going to make you think. Yeah. So, but he treated... Um, everything that way. So if, if you were caught stealing, you know, you would cut off a limb. Yeah. And, and you know what? It is said. And again, I, I take this from 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 family um, telling me this, who, who lived in Romania and grew up there and was immersed in the culture. You could just leave gold out on the street and there was nobody brave enough to take it because the fear of being caught was enough that there was no crime. You know, so you lived yeah. in this crime-free environment where he had driven out, and, and the Turks at that time were, 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 you know, the the you know whatever you call it, the America at the time, the superpower. And here, this let's call them the Britain because I'm going to come back oh, around okay. to this in a minute. Yeah, but you know, here, here's this little nothing country with with very few resources that takes on a leader that says, "Hey, I've got some things we're going to try," <laughs> and it's successful. <laughs> it's successful. So he is held in in high regard, although monstrous and barbaric to to watch the History Channel or to hear some of the things we've said. Imagine that he's the guy that kept, you know, your sister from being raped by Turks or your property being taken or your family being murdered. Absolute hero. Yep. So let's talk about the Turks in general. Um. Again, from my from my travels, a dirty, a dirty, filthy people. That's fucking. What throw out there. That's the thing that I learned. If you have any interactions with fucking anyone that's from any Eastern European country or any country that's anywhere really within reasonable distance of Turkey, at some point Turkey occupied your country, and it is a great fucking injustice that will never, ever, ever be let go. Mm-hmm. So, everybody's got this like. Um, you know, this chip on their shoulder about Turkey and the Turks, if I met a Turk today, I'd be like, Hey, are you an asshole? Because based on history, they're the worst people that I've fucking ever heard about in my entire life. It's, um, it's fun and interesting to talk to somebody who understands that I, I probably wouldn't. Um, be able to have this conversation with you if it wasn't for growing up with my father and my yeah. grandfather and around other Romanians. So it's really weird what little we we understand. Our, our British, um, our British listeners right now are like these fucking Americans, man. They actually know something about what happened in another country because, yeah, typically we don't. We have no idea as as a people. I'm going to talk about me and you, but as a people, absolutely. As as Americans, you mean? Yes. Oh yeah, we're clueless. Yeah, ninety percent of the time. What kind of fucking injustices happened and still continue to happen in other countries? I think you know, probably not. <laughs> Not a lot of staking Turks out on the road, but, you know, we're, we're very self-involved. In, <laughs> I feel in, like we might be coming back around to that with our current uh, administration. Which you and I had a long conversation <laughs> that we're probably not going not gonna to rehash. But it, it, And it's okay to look out for yourself. It, it's okay to, to, you know, be America first. I'm sure you heard the speech, right? America first is not a bad concept. Wait, the inaugural speech? Yes. I kind of sat that one out. Okay, so so Trump talked about from from the, that day forward, from Friday, everything was going to be America first, and, and I, I support that. Doesn't that. Sound bad. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I support that, and really, for me, every day is you know Livia's first, right? Me and my family, and and how we're affected by things. Mm, and that's whoa, what whoa, I said. whoa! Booked first. Well, all right. So booked is part of my family. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, okay. yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that being said, so I said before, you know, if, if the, the leader of this country or, or the leader of Romania, you know, whatever, 600 years ago or whatever, um, kept the Turks from raping my family members, I'm on board with that because really that saved my life or, you know, my mm-hmm. well-being. So, yes, 
we have steered way, way off. This fucking I can't book, remember so. the last time we said something about the book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the next thing we're going to say about the book is going to be in spoiler talk, I think, because there are some things just in case you want to read this book after hearing our, our rating, um, you may not want to hear. So if you're a Patreon contributor at any level, um, you can uh, head over to patreon.com slash booked and listen to what will probably be a five or ten minute brief um, talk uh, that's spoiler rich about Dracula versus Hitler. All right. We're uh, we're back from spoiler talk, which I realize is such a hard transition because I say that as people <laughs> heard, like we're going to spoiler talk. Um, Rob and I agreed on all the BS stuff that we talked about. In spoiler <laughs> talk. I just want to say that, yeah. that there really wasn't a lot of pushback from either one of us on anything that, that we took issue with yeah. towards the end of the book or, or that were really exposing elements of of the, the story. Now, before we go into wrap ups, since the original Dracula book slash movie were such a were such an important part of this and they're referenced dozens of times you watch dracula tonight which is something i haven't done in many years so yeah. do you have some thoughts on how this related to that or i didn't realize how much dracula so i'm gonna go ahead and say that i've never read the original book bram stoker's dracula bram stoker's dracula but i have seen that movie with fucking um what's his name the guy that plays dracula it's got Keanu Reeves and it's got fucking uh, Gary Oldman and shit in it. Yeah, fucking Winona uh, Ryder. Now, is that the one you watched tonight, or did you yeah. watch the original? Oh, okay. Oh no, no, I watched the fucking modern one, the one that came I out got... in the '90s when I was a teenager. All right, yeah, all right. Oh, are you are you disappointed? You're you're not as happy now. Well, I, no, no. The the reason I say that is is that I do believe that this all of this was let off from the original movie, so the tie into this. Yeah. There were some liberties taken with the 1990 version, if I'm <laughs> correct, right? 90, maybe? 90-ish, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that are not part of the original movie. <laughs> well, we'll find out. You're going to have to correct me as I go along the way. Mm -hmm. um, my major impression of this is that the original Harker character um, was really a pawn. The big characters were Dracula, obviously... Mina, who was the love interest, who kind of mirrored the original love interest of of Prince Dracula before he became a blood drinking fucking murder guy. Am I right about that? See, I don't. And it's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen the the original nineteen thirty or whatever Dracula, but I, I don't remember there being any any talk about his previous love you interest. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was no Elizabeth in the original story? No. Ouch. All right. That's well, what I'm saying. Yeah, that when yeah. you watch that, I, I don't know that you're getting the same history as what this is based on. But I guess the big thing is that there was a Van Helsing, and he was all about, like, hey, vampires are crazy fucking people, and nobody understands how they work, so I'm going to help you murder them. Um... There was a Renfield who was played by Tom Waits. All right, and now let's just pause for a second to talk about how fucking hilarious the cast of of this Dracula was. Um, because I can't take all of it seriously. Bram Stoker's Dracula, which came out um, in 1992. Very close. Gary Oldman plays Dracula. Winona Ryder plays Mina. You know who plays Van Helsing? No. Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Keanu That's Reeves, a pretty big, pretty big cast. Yeah, Keanu Reeves plays Jonathan Harker. Uh, like it is an all-star cast in a way that just doesn't help the movie at all. Um, and I don't remember what my point is, but like that cast just so sucks. Oh yeah, I was at Van Helsing, played by Anthony Hopkins. Really? I mean, like he's a starring actor. Like he's a he's a lead actor role person and and he's playing van helsing who plays this kind of eccentric weirdo anyway none of it helps the movie at all but the whole idea is that like harker goes to transylvania to sell land to dracula who then fucking enslaves harker into this weird like whorish like lady vampire like suck fest thing <laughs> right yes but it's because Somehow, even though he's never seen... Oh, he saw a picture of Mina. Mina looks like his ex-wife who died. Not his mm -hmm. ex-wife, his wife who died. So he's like, oh, I have to be with Mina. 
who is the resurrection of my wife, I guess. So he fucking loads up a ship with a bunch of dirt and goes to England. This is really like the fucking cliff notes of the Dracula movie. And he mm-hmm. seduces her successfully while also turning her friend into some sex fiend vampire. Right? Yeah, because he likes the party. Because, and, and she's hot. Yeah, well, yeah. What was her name? Lucy? Yeah, Lucy. Yep, because that's Lucy's, who is named after in the... Lucy's DTF. Yeah, Lucy, Lucille. Yes, there it is. And she becomes a vampire who just, like, you know, gets killed by all these stuck-up British people who don't want a woman to care about sex is what I'm getting out of this. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I watched that tonight. <laughs> the movie sucks. Let's just be honest. You were maybe a little young to remember all the hype around that movie. No, yeah, I don't I don't remember. 1992, yeah. I was 14 years old. Yeah, I was super ridiculously excited well, about I mean, that yeah, movie. Yeah, it's your people. Yeah, and it, it was, well, all right, so <laughs> two, two things happened. First of all, that night was a going-away party for somebody I worked with. So I go there, and there's a lot of liquor involved, and I'm super drunk. And then I'm running late for the movie that we actually had to pre-purchase tickets for to guarantee entry. So somebody that I was going with, there I think there were like five of us going, went and purchased tickets for all of us. So we would have tickets like earlier in the day. And so I drive like 100 miles an hour to fucking Chicago to, to get to this movie in time. And I see 15 minutes and pass out and apparently snore really fucking loudly for two hours. <laughs> like to the point where there are threats made and my friends are like, nah, just shut up and sit down. Yeah, so I, I had to catch it at a second viewing. But yeah, it was it was a little bit of a letdown. While we're on that thread, can I can I recommend a couple of things yeah. to, to listeners? Um what year what year is this um we're living in 2017 in 1975 um fred saberhagen who i believe was primarily a science fiction writer um wrote a book called the dracula tape which is uh the premise of the book is that somebody finds a audio cassette or a series of audio cassettes maybe in a car um, that are a person telling the Dracula story from the standpoint of I'm Dracula and I have some things to say about this bullshit book, um, which is a great, great read. It's only got three and a half stars on uh, 3.7 stars on uh, on Goodreads. But I remember thoroughly enjoying this probably in the early 90s. And then I want to talk about the failed TV show Dracula, which was the <laughs> predecessor it was NBC's predecessor to Hannibal. <laughs> Did you watch it? No. Okay. Oh, no, no. But I know exactly what you're talking about because I was like, that looks like garbage. Oh, you know what? I, I kind of liked it. I know you didn't. It, I mean, it wasn't. It's your people. It, it wasn't bad. Um, that is a, a sequel that's very, very different um, from from this. And I, I pulled up the IMDb page. Dracula travels to London with dark plans for revenge against those who ruined his life centuries earlier. However, his plan is complicated when he falls in love with a woman who seems to be a reincarnation of his dead wife. Uh, that ran from 2013 to 2014 <laughs> for like a whopping, I think, 12 episodes. <laughs> you were really um, excited about those episodes. I liked that fucking show. Mm. Um, Jonathan, I don't know how you say it, Reese, Rice Myers from the Tudors plays, uh, plays Dracula in that. And uh, he does a pretty good job. I never watched. I never watched it. To yeah. be honest, I, I, I did. I did enjoy. Um, I did enjoy that, and I remember really liking the Dracula tape. I never read any of the other Saberhagen books, probably because like the internet wasn't around. It wasn't as easy to find. But I do know, and I, I have known for years that he went on to do like Dracula versus Sherlock Holmes or something along those lines. Too. Oh my maybe god! Partnered up to so do things. Excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm maybe, maybe, maybe when we do a throwback episode. Hold on. I'm on the fucking Wikipedia for a list of works by Fred Saberhagen. Mm-hmm. The Dracula tape, the Holmes Dracula file. Maybe that's what I'm thinking Ooh. of. That's enough. Let's just do it. All right. Next week I'm booked. <laughs> Is this something a better book actually... than what we're talking about, yeah. Yeah, the only problem with reviewing that is I'm pretty sure you would also have to read the Dracula tape to kind of get 
what Dracula this is, because really yeah. he is the hero. All right. And Van Helsing is the enemy, and it's portrayed that way. So you know, what I'm saying you're following him in some yeah. of these further books. So I don't know if that's really going to work, but you should read it anyway on your off time because it's fun. Let's be honest. I just don't read in my off time. I know. Yeah. That's why I said. So. <laughs> Um, we need to uh, we need to do Let's wrap, uh, up. wrap up. Yeah, yeah. it's been <clears throat> I don't know hour forever. And a half forever now. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Um, what a great premise and some really terrific moments um, throughout the book, um, but also some garbage. <laughs> and that most of that we talked about in in uh, in spoiler talk over on Patreon um, because some of it is integral to the plot and we didn't want to give it away. Um, the book is well written. There's there's nothing wrong with his writing style. It was concise. I think that he even did, although this is a problem whenever you read from somebody who's uh, um, writing from different points of view, it's like almost all of them are too in, a little too intelligent. But I think he did a good job of distinguishing the voices in the sections even, where even if you weren't sure, if you'd forgotten what point of view you're reading, you could almost pick it up from from the type of writing. So I think he did a great job with all that. I think the premise is terrific. Um, nice to see some um, so uh, historical fiction. I, I think is is pretty good as as a general rule. Um, it's the only way I could read history, so um, I, I do like historical fiction. But you know, we had this character. It was just it was too repetitive. In the oh my god, I'm a monster from Dracula, and I'm just trying to be a better person, but it's never going to happen because I'm a monster. And then someone talking him down off that ledge happened just a few too many times. And it, it probably could have benefited from a from a 20% cut in just length. And when I say that, not length from the standpoint of it was long, there was just some unimportant things and some redundant things that could have been taken out to make this a sharper book. Uh, I talked earlier about maybe the campiness of bringing all of the characters or some representation of all of the characters from Bram Stoker's novel forward. So some issues there. Um, ultimately, it was not a it was not a bad book, but man, just. Just a good editor, I think, could have taken this from the three stars I'm going to give it and maybe made it, you know, four plus for me. But three stars is where it stands. So I was thinking about this book before we get on the podcast, and I was thinking about how we would rate it. And as much as I enjoyed the book and as much as I thought it was like a really well-written and entertaining book, I didn't think it was going to score highly with us. And so far, I'm right, <laughs> which, which is a little bit sad, a little disappointing. But there were flaws with this book. So when the author was working in the historical fiction kind of element of of the book, I think he did incredibly well. I think he did a great job of writing what it would be like to be in a small Rota Romanian, not Rotanian, because that's not an actual type of thing, Romanian um, um, town during the occupation of the Germans during World War II. And I think that the struggles... And I think that the things that those people faced was rep represented incredibly well. Um, it's the introduction of the other stuff, which sometimes messed with the story. So surprisingly, the introduction of Dracula didn't mess with the story too much. Because after some plot contrivances which made him kind of a patriot and um, into the idea of helping his country, he was on board. And it was when other stuff was introduced that things became a little bit out of control and a little bit, you know, outside of, of what I would have expected for the story. So um, you heard us talk at length about that. I'm not going to go back into that type of stuff. Um, but I think the strength of the story comes from the historical fiction. And it comes from the fact that um, if you're reading this as something that happened during the war, during World War II in Romania, you could believe a lot of it. Even up to when they try to go into the mountains and find the the Roma, the gypsies, to get help because there was no one else to help them. Like all of that stuff happened um, very well, and it and it and it helped me feel very involved in the story and bought into the story. It was when we introduced the elements of the supernatural that things started to not just feel so, you know, congruous with the rest of the story. Um, like Livia said earlier, and I believe, and, and I, I agree with him a hundred percent, the elements of magic that were introduced were sometimes way too literal. Um, and, and just like the way that everything meshed together, I feel like overall, eh, the book was really entertaining. It was original and it was way better 
than a lot of authors would have presented if they were just given the title Dracula versus Hitler. I think most authors would have leaned into, let's put as much Dracula and as much Hitler in this book as possible, and just kind of play off the fact that they were these two great historical characters, one very fictitious and the other very real, um, but but both like really strong characters in our memory and in history, um, and, and play off of them. And he didn't do that. He he, you know, like he pulled it back a lot, and he made it a lot about what actual war would be like in Romania in this time and in this place. And I think that was the strength of the book. The failure of the book was that he tried to do too much to make it like a Dracula story instead of just adding Dracula to a story that was already interesting. So, overall, I thought the book was great. I honestly didn't think it needed to be 500 pages or 519, as Livius has noted in our notes. Um, I think it could have been a great story that was 350 pages long um, without all of the extra extraneous stuff that that was great for building scenes and building building the story in general but i kind of got it overall with with less of that story involved so overall the story benefited greatly from the historical fiction part of it when he started playing a little bit of lip service to the historical dracula story i think that's when it started failing definitely when he started playing lip service to the, the magic is when it started falling apart a lot um, but overall, I liked the book, and I'm going to go with three stars. The 519 pages, by the way, is the um, ongoing page count that I promised. Um, <laughs> it's actually 527. I've got conflicting reports on how many pages this is, but I threw that in there last minute. Yeah, 527 yeah. is where we're at for the year. Good Lord. What I'm going for, yep. Um, Rob, if you just had to guess... Would this be the first time that an author introduced a classical monster against Hitler? Or do, do you think it's original in that scope? Or, or Oh, my God. Like, I'm sure that happened in the, like as early as the 1950s. Yeah. I, um, I, when, you, when you were saying, when you were talking about it, I was actually surprised because I recalled that um, yeah, 25 years ago I read Robert R. McCammon's The Wolf Sour. Mm-hmm. which was about a soldier, and, and I, I don't remember, he might have been a British soldier who was also a werewolf yeah. who fought the Nazis and had an encounter with Hitler. Um, but that was more interesting from the standpoint that Hitler um, had a fascination with wolves, which is touched upon in this book because he refers to himself as Hair Wolf right. the whole time. But yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I'm not saying that, that this author even knew of the existence of that, I was thinking this isn't even this isn't the first time that a classical oh man movie monster basically goes up against uh, against old Adolf. Yeah, I think it's like it's it's a trident thing, and I think that like the book benefits from the fact that he did a good job of introducing a supernatural element versus Hitler, but at the same time, man, this is not new fucking territory that he's he's exploring in any way. Mm-hmm. I did like, and I realize that we're done with the review, but I guess I didn't mention this. I did like how um, the the Dracula fight scenes, like how he dispatched people he was going yeah. up against. I thought that it, it stayed, um, it wasn't really mundane. You know, they were kind of creative in different ways that he dispatched his foes, and some of them were just were pretty entertaining. Sure. Uh, oh, I agree. I agree 100%. So this, I'm going to call this a horror book, that we reviewed a horror book, right? Yeah, and yeah, a lot of pages. So, it's helping with our page count for 2017 for sure. It, it is, and I guess we're going to touch on that in a minute because <laughs> there is another quick thing we should talk about, and that's inkshares.com. Yeah. Um, that is the publisher of this book, and they have a really interesting platform. I, I looked into this. Did you look into inkshares at all? Uh, I have the website up, but I have not looked at it at all. So here's my, uh, my very generic uh, take on how this works, is if you are a writer, you can present inkshares with a – you know, one a one-page synopsis of what what your book is, and they um, will commit to working with you on getting your book published, um, if you have enough books um, set up on pre-order. So basically, they're guaranteeing themselves the cost of publishing your book um, through pre-sales, which I, I I find kind of interesting because this book was professionally edited. At least, um, you know, I didn't see any issues with 
um, spelling, spacing, punctuation. I, I don't know if you caught anything. I mean, it was. Written. Oh, I'm eagle eyed for that shit. And I did not find any of that. Yeah. So and as we talked about during the review it was well written. And I don't know how much of that came from, you know, an editor's uh, notes. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just turned in. And maybe this guy's just a phenomenal writer that doesn't need a lot of editing. So I thought it was an interesting platform because it's not pay to publish. If you establish a pretty reasonable pre-order amount, 250 copies, you can have a book that's professionally produced. And then when I say marketed, they make sure it gets onto iBooks and Amazon and into local independent bookstores and, and that kind of thing. So I thought it was a really interesting platform that's um, very different from traditional, but is not really self-published and really isn't pay to publish as some you know, markets are. So it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, I honestly looked through there to see if there's anything else to grab my eye, and nothing did. But uh, I, I don't know how new or original this idea is, but I, I definitely found it to be interesting. Yeah, it's the first time I'm seeing it, but um, from what I'm seeing, it looks really interesting because, like, you do have to have that proof of concept. Like, you have to have that 250 um, kind of pat- patron support. But the places they distribute to is actually really impressive. If you look at, um, once you hit that threshold, they distribute through Amazon and Barnes and Noble and 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 Apple, like through iBooks and stuff. And oh, so, first of all, if you have Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and iBooks, I'm not any expert, but I'm guessing that's 85 percent of the market, right? Plus, they have you know you know probably a hundred different places beyond that. So well, I was gonna say that's that's like ninety five percent of the digital market. Yeah. So beyond that, if as long as they're in that um, whatever that indie books um, you know thing is, man, that's almost everybody that reads a book is gonna get through get through them. Um, so their distribution is is as widespread as it needs to be in order to be, you know, where books are bought pretty much almost all the time, which is really good. Um, some of the books have 15,000 orders. I mean, most of them are are in the low four digits, but I mean, some of these books have significant amount of, yeah, of pre-orders too. I don't know what those pre-order prices are. Nope. I can tell you. So I'm looking at one called Nam Fiction, uh, which is a nonfiction book, um, (laughs) $13.99 for a paperback. So when you really think about if $13.99 is an average at selling pre-orders at $250, they're, that's probably, like I said, just covering their costs. That's really got to be right because self-publishing. The, the the downside to self-publishing is that there's no marketing at all. Like you market by going on Facebook and saying, "Hey, please buy my book. Otherwise, I'm going to die, and my child will die too, or whatever." Um, and and looks like as far as marketing goes, like they try to get you into Publishers Weekly. And other resources that, you know, review books on a regular basis. So that's not something that you can say for every time. I mean, Livius, you and I have been doing this for almost six years, and we know independent publishers, and we know the steps that they go through, and a lot of them fall short of some of the stuff that this is promising. Absolutely. And then, again, when you're talking about self-publishing, you know, that that could be I self-published, but I paid three different professional publishers to, or editors to look at it, which is not the case yep. that I'm aware of. Um, you know, so you get some what appears to be a very professional result having read this book. Now, granted, we read it digitally, so I can't tell you what paper it's printed on or, you right. know, or what that looks like. But I have clicked on two other books and uh, An Unattractive Vampire. <laughs> Jim McDaniel, uh, but also thirteen ninety nine and uh, ebook pre order for a buck. That's cool. I'm down with that. All I'm saying is that if you're if you're a writer, and I know that a lot of our listeners are, this this might be a, a, a way to maybe up your game a little bit if you yeah. think you can push two hundred and fifty copies out uh, to friends, family, and and uh, and current readers. Yeah, seriously, if you think you've got at least enough of an audience to sell 250 copies there's no reason you you wouldn't at least explore this as an option right yeah it's it's really i mean why didn't why didn't we do that when we made the anthology uh because i'm thinking maybe it didn't exist then i don't know we we didn't we didn't know it existed i guess we've been around so long that this shit doesn't even didn't even exist back then yeah so it's uh it's interesting 
so I just wanted to, to touch on that and and kind of share that with our listeners as a, a an interesting place you might be able to go look for books, but um, almost more importantly as a writer, a place you may want to look to get that manuscript that nobody's uh, calling you back on out there to the masses. That's right. Let your fucking audience talk for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked earlier about how the fact that I watched Dracula. So we read the Dracula versus Hitler book, right? And so to really get into like the feeling of Dracula versus Hitler, I watched the Dracula movie with Gary Oldman and everything. Um, but you never asked me what I li- watched for the Hitler side of things. <laughs> what did you watch for the Hitler side of things, Rob? Oh, I watched the inauguration speech of, of Donald Trump. So. Oh my God! Yeah. Can I tell you? I didn't. I honestly didn't think we were going to the, <laughs> the podcast. But I'm at work. It's a little slow, so I had a few minutes to watch part. I didn't see the actual like swearing in or whatever, but I caught some of his speech. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> then I, you know, whatever, I, I back out of that. And of course, there are the related videos or like underneath. Yeah. And the first one is, um, you know, a protest turns violent in in Washington. So I watched the clip that everybody has seen. I'm assuming everybody has seen of the windows being broken and stuff. Yeah, the Starbucks. Yeah, so that's what I want to say is that I'm fully not supportive of any of that type of bullshit. But then later I was on Facebook and I saw just the screenshot, you know, where you could see the video it's going to play. But it said, um, you know, whatever violence erupts is, you know, Starbucks and and, uh, Bank of America (laughs) attacked. And suddenly sometimes I think I'm okay with this shit. So I I spent the rest of my (laughs) afternoon driving around in protest. Uh, because that's acceptable, throwing bricks through Starbucks windows all through Northern Lake County. Yeah, man. I just Perfect. want to say I wasn't protesting Donald Trump. I was protesting Starbucks. So, um, Probably at the same time I was buying a drink from Starbucks. So yeah. it was kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum of that. <laughs> um, however, I will say that my conspiracy theory for this episode is that um, the people that fucked up that Starbucks in Washington, D.C. were actually people hired by... Republicans to make it look like Democrats don't know how to fucking protest properly. I don't think those are actually Democrats. Have you ever fucking seen a Republican run that fast? Oh, I'm saying there were people hired by Republicans. I'm not saying they were oh, Republicans. Oh, I guess I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I um the the best thing I saw regarding all of that was um a tweet someone showed me that said <laughs> something. Well, no, it said something along the lines of. Hey, thanks a lot. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but only 4% of Washington, D.C. voted for Trump. Thanks for tearing up downtown. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, again, <laughs> that's, that's very, that's very legit. true. Yeah, that's yeah, legit. If you like rioting in Chicago that has voted uh, Democratic, uh, I think Ronald Reagan was the last time that uh, a Republican won um, Illinois. And before that, it was, I think, Abraham Lincoln. So, Right, back when Republicans actually cared about people. Yeah, so yeah. my uh, my point there is that yeah, the the rioting or the the whatever the violent protesting was definitely happening in the wrong place. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. There right. you go, uh, a politically charged, historically questionable, I think, episode mm-hmm. of booked right. Yeah, we we uh, yeah we we hit some some today politics. We hit some old school politics. Some vampires. Um, Who could really ask for anything beyond that? I don't me. know. I don't know. All right. Um, next week, a book review. We're not sure what it is. Uh, it's my job to figure that out in the next 24 hours. So until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Keep reading. Keep reading. Uh...